So we begin our new Advent series today on the first Sunday of Advent, and I've entitled this series, And Ye Beneath Life's Crushing Load. Uh, Maybe you feel like, I think there's a picture of a guy here, let's see if we can get it up, the new sermon graphic. We'll see if they can pull it up anyway. Maybe you feel like, if you can see the guy in that picture who's buried under a pile of uh, presents, maybe you're here today and you feel buried under the weight of life like that guy, buried under to-do lists and the holidays that are coming up and all that you have to do and shopping and gift wrapping and tasks and school and raising kids and parenting and caring for aging parents. And the list goes on and on, doesn't it? There's always more to add to our plate. There's always more to do. There's always more things to worry about, more things to be overwhelmed by. And as if all of that life stuff wasn't enough, I'm going to assume that you feel weighted down beneath sin's crushing load too. Who doesn't know their sin? Who doesn't hate that they keep failing, doing the same sins over and over again? Who isn't sick and tired of sin? And so all of that, the pressures of life, the tasks, the weight, the sin, the struggle, all of that is no way to live. And that's why we need to learn once again how to rest this holiday season. So our Advent Sermon Series title comes from the lyrics of the Christmas song, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, and maybe it describes you this morning. And ye, beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Is that you today? Buried underneath life's crushing load, bent over, toiling with painful steps, slowly climbing upward, longing for much needed rest. If you're weary and worn out and exhausted and you feel like you're going to collapse under life's crushing load, then a doctor named Luke has some good news for you. He wants to give you assurance that the gospel is true. All of it. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke has written his gospel to weary sinners who feel like they're about to collapse under life's crushing load. Luke has written his gospel to call us to look and behold, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wings of angels as they sing to some dirty ranch hand shepherds in the middle of the night. And what they sing, the lyrics of these angels' midnight song, are the greatest lyrics ever sung. Glory to God on high and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Luke's gospel 
is also full of some pretty weird and crazy and out-of-this-world events that surrounded and led up to the birth of Jesus. So this is the stuff of Rod Serling in the Twilight Zone. We've got angels appearing to people left and right. We have a pregnant teenage virgin. We have an old lady drawing Social Security who suddenly sees a pink plus sign on her at-home pregnancy test. We have a baby doing gymnastics in the womb and a feeding trough that serves as a bassinet for God incarnate. And we have some angels that go Christmas caroling out in the manure-filled fields where shepherds live. So basically, the twilight zone. I'm afraid we've just gotten so used to the Christmas story story that these things don't shock us anymore. The story that Luke is going to tell should make our jaws drop open. We should do a double take and scratch our heads and stop and go back and read the verses again just to make sure we read what we read. We're supposed to be shocked because the Christmas story is out of this world. The eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, took on human flesh and became a needy, dependent baby boy who nursed his mother and needed his diapers changed. And he grew up and he lived a perfect life and died a perfect death on the cross for our sins so that we could have peace with the holy God. And God raised him from the dead and he ascended through the clouds into heaven and he's coming back again real soon. That's the stuff of the twilight zone. Coming back from the dead, watching a guy ascend through the clouds. But that's where we place our hope and our faith. And that's what gives peace and rest to those who are beneath life's crushing load. And like any good story, there's drama in Luke's gospel too. And lots of it. There's messiness in the Christmas story. There's confusion. There's fear. But there's also a lot of joy. And that makes sense when you're telling the story of Jesus coming to save all of us bad people from our sins. And Luke wants us to experience this Jesus coming to save all of us bad people from our sins joy right now. He wants us to experience some of this joy in the midst of the drama, in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the craziness of our lives at the beginning of the Christmas season. Does that sound good to you? Sign me up. Luke will remind us of something that we often need to be reminded of, and it's this. God is working behind the scenes even when he can't be seen. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times when I wonder what God is up to, what he's doing. I don't see him moving the way I want him to. I don't see him answering my prayers the way I really want him to. And I begin to wonder, is he really involved? Does he really care? I sometimes forget that he's always at work, even when it seems like he's not. Sometimes I forget That Romans 8.28 is in the Bible. And I'm a pastor. I should remember that God works all things together for good for his elect people. 
But let me tell you this. Being one of God's elect doesn't mean that you can't be a big dummy (laughs) and forget things. And I'm living proof of that. Everything that is beginning to unfold in Luke's gospel is proof that God is at work behind the scenes in a very Romans 8.28 kind of way. We're going to go behind the scenes of a very dark period in the nation of Israel's history. And what we will discover is that God is working. God is busy working behind the scenes in some rather mundane, ordinary moments. And especially in some twilight zone-like moments. It was true in their day, and it's true in our lives as well. God is at work in our lives, whether we see his hand or not. So Luke chapter 1, look at verse 1 and hear the word of the Lord. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So here's the backdrop to Luke's Christmas story. It's been some 400 years since the prophet Malachi last preached. It's been quiet God has not spoken through a prophet to his people in over 400 years. God's people have not heard God's voice through a prophet in over 400 years. Now think about that. No prophets, no miracles, no sci-fi stuff. It's been quiet. Crickets. There's just one page in our Bibles that separates the Old Testament book of Malachi with the New Testament book Matthew in our Bibles, but in real time, it wasn't just one page, it was 400 years of crickets. And as if that would be bad enough, the nation of Israel is also being ruled by one of Rome's biggest jerks, King Herod. He was a cruel and vindictive man. He even had some of his own family members murdered just so that he could keep his position and his power. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells us that Herod ordered the killing of innocent babies in Bethlehem after he discovered that Jesus, a new king of the Jews, had been born there. So this guy was psycho. And so we have to imagine what God's people have been thinking as they're watching the evening news. What about all the prophecies about the Savior's coming? Where is the Messiah that was prophesied to come and redeem his people? When will he come? And why has God been so quiet? Where are the prophets? And how long do we have to suffer under this lunatic named Herod? What is God up to? And why can't we see his hand at work? Those are the questions that God's people were wrestling with as the Christmas story begins. 
And Luke begins his Christmas story by telling us about a priest named Zechariah. The name Zechariah means Yahweh remembers, the Lord remembers. Or you could say it negatively, Yahweh won't forget. Now think about this. There is a priest named Yahweh remembers or Yahweh won't forget during the reign of a lunatic Roman king who killed babies and was ruling over God's people. There is a priest named Yahweh remembers or Yahweh won't forget working in the temple after 400 years of silence. Luke, that sly dog, is setting us up for something. In other words, Luke wants us to know that God is working behind the scenes in subtle ways, even if he can't be seen. And what we're about to see is that God is going to use Zechariah and Elizabeth, two common people who were faithfully serving Yahweh. He's going to use them to accomplish his purpose of bringing the Messiah, his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. But Luke lets us know something very significant about Elizabeth. She is barren. She has no children. She can't get pregnant. And now she's old. Gray hair, wrinkly, drawing Social Security, getting that senior citizen discount at Cracker Barrel. Luke tells us two times that she's advanced in years, which in Greek means... She old, y'all. And her hopes of having children were dashed long, long ago. But you know what? That doesn't faze God. You think God is intimidated by a barren old lady who has trouble walking up the stairs? Not at all. And when we read the story of Elizabeth's barrenness, it should remind us of all those other women in the Old Testament who had trouble getting pregnant too, who ended up having kids. Women like Sarah and Rebecca, and Rachel, and Manoah's wife, and Hannah. So when we read that Elizabeth is barren, we should be thinking, wait a minute, hold on a second. I know my Old Testament. An old barren lady becomes preggers? Hmm. God might be up to something. The story of Elizabeth's barrenness should tip us off that God is once again acting in ways that he did in days of old. When we hear that Elizabeth is barren, our ears are supposed to perk up and we're supposed to get curious and wonder if God is going to do something big again. We're supposed to rub our hands together and say something like, is God up to something? There's a barren woman appearing on the pages of scripture. Maybe God is up to something. Pass the popcorn because this is going to be good, y'all. And the answer is that God is about to do something very big. God is about to do one of those extra, extra read all about it. Barren woman gets pregnant things that he does so well. Look at verse 8. Now while Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. 
And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this whole angel-scaring old man Zek stuff happened at the time of prayer at the temple in Jerusalem. Prayer was offered after the morning sacrifice at 9 a.m., and then it was offered after the afternoon sacrifice, which happened at 3 p.m. And so a burnt offering was offered, and then a priest would go into uh, the inner parts of the temple. He would take incense and place it on the altar of incense where some hot burning coals were and the smoke would fill the temple and this ritual represented the prayers of God's people ascending up to him. And here's where we see the providence of God at work. There was a group of around 700 priests who served in this capacity of what Zechariah is doing for only two weeks a year. So scholars estimate that there were somewhere between several thousand, maybe even up to 18,000 priests at this time. And yet, by lot, Luke tells us in verse 9, Zechariah was chosen to go and offer the incense and pray for the nation of Israel. Now, most priests served their whole lives and never got the opportunity to do this. They were chosen only by lot, And then only once in their life would they have this opportunity. And Zechariah, Luke tells us, was chosen by lot. But Luke expects you to understand that this was not by chance, not by lot. It wasn't a roll of the dice. Luke expects you to know that it was the providence of God, the sovereignty of God that caused the lot to fall to Zechariah. So when Luke tells you that Zechariah was chosen by lot, he's saying to us, hint, hint. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, by lot, air quotes. Luke expects you to know that providence caused the lot to fall to Zechariah. And so as Zechariah is praying, all of a sudden, an angel appears. I mean, imagine the scene. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. I'm sure he's being very careful. He's reading the manual on what to do. Place incense on rocks, say prayer for nation, get out before you die. I'm sure he's being very careful, especially because the only thing that separated him from the presence of God in the Holy of Holies was a veil. He's a few inches away from possible death. The only thing that separated him from God's presence was a curtain. Zechariah knew his Old Testament. He knew the stories of those who died when they approached the Lord inappropriately. And as he's meticulously placing incense on the altar, suddenly there's an angel. you got to picture this. This is one artist's rendering of it. No wonder Zechariah is scared to death. He's thinking he's about to die. But what does the angel say in verse 13? Do not be afraid. Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Zechariah's prayer was heard. But what was his prayer that day? Was Zechariah in there praying for his old barren wife Elizabeth to have a baby? I don't think so. 
Elizabeth was old. Luke tells us two times that Elizabeth was advanced in years. Verse 7 and verse 18. He wants us to know that she old. Besides, Zechariah went into the temple on official capacity as priest. He was offering prayers on behalf of the nation of Israel who were suffering under Herod, under Rome. These prayers were for a savior to come and to redeem Israel. Zechariah was not praying for Elizabeth to bear a child. He was praying for the Messiah to come and to redeem Israel and to overthrow Rome and its lunatic king, Herod. And God heard Zechariah's prayer for a savior. But how would the savior come? How would Israel be redeemed? God would answer Zechariah's prayer for the Messiah to come by also answering a prayer that Zechariah had probably stopped praying long ago, that Elizabeth, his wife, would get pregnant. I'm sure Elizabeth and Zechariah had quit praying for a baby a long, long time ago, yet God was gracious to not only answer Zechariah's prayer on behalf of the nation that the Messiah would come, but God was also graciously answering there needed to be dusted off. We haven't prayed for a child in years. Prayer for a child who would be the cousin of the Messiah who was to come. Then the angel tells John that their new baby boy will be named John, which means Yahweh is gracious. The Lord is gracious. And so the Lord graciously answered the prayers of the nation of Israel by graciously answering the old prayers of an old barren couple. Isn't God good? Listen. You can accuse God of a lot of things, and he gets accused of a lot of things by people, right? But our God is not boring, okay? He does wild and crazy things like this. He uses an old barren lady's at-home pregnancy test to start the process of ushering in the Savior who would save his people from their sins. That's wild, if you ask me. And it's helpful for you in your life today. You might be wondering what God is up to in your life. You might even find yourself today stuck beneath life's crushing load. And you might feel like you can't even go on anymore. But Jesus is doing wild and crazy things in your life right now. You might not see him at work. But oh, how Jesus is working to bring you good. And to bring redemption out of the mess in your life. You can trust him. Zechariah and Elizabeth remind us that God is working behind the scenes even when he can't be seen. And no one saw this coming. No one saw God doing this. Zechariah and Elizabeth never dreamed that God would answer their prayers for a baby boy this late in life, especially because they quit praying for a baby so many years ago. But God was working behind the scenes and... He was clearly not being seen. Two old people's outdated prayers of long ago get answered by a gracious God who will use their baby to usher in Jesus the Messiah. The promise of baby John the Baptist is God reminding the nation of Israel and reminding us that he is good for all the promises that he has made. So the morning sickness of Elizabeth... And registering her baby boy at Target, and the kicking and moving and jumping and squirming around in the womb, and all the doctor's visits, 
and having to read the book, what to expect when you weren't expecting, all of it is pointing to God's commitment to his people and his promises that he will save us from our sins. Doesn't that make you love Jesus? Don't you just love that Jesus does things like this? Don't you love that Jesus is not boring? Don't you love that your God specializes in miracles? Doesn't it give you hope today that God is not finished with you and he's not finished with your story yet? He's not finished with your kids yet? He's not finished with your family yet? He's not finished with this church yet? Doesn't it give you hope that he might be up to something big? I hope it does. Well, let's continue. Look at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So you can say with confidence that Zechariah was confused in this moment. How can they become parents now? He is old. Elizabeth is old. She's barren. She could never get pregnant. How could she ever have a kid at this age? I mean, they've been talking about Zechariah retiring and getting a motor home and doing some traveling. How can this be? Answer, God has the power to do it. Something that seems to have slipped Zechariah's mind As he is praying. And so he asks, how shall I know this? Well, God is about to show Zechariah how he will know this. That his power to cause Elizabeth to become pregnant will be the same power that causes him to go mute. Gabriel declared that Zechariah would go mute, and he did. And therefore, though this was rather unfortunate for Zechariah, it was also some assurance that God would not only allow him to speak one day, but also that the words concerning John would come true that Elizabeth would have a baby boy. Zechariah's inability to speak would assure his heart that Elizabeth had the ability to get pregnant. And so Gabriel tells Zechariah how he will know that his words will come true. He gives Zech a sign. He says, the power that causes you to go mute will be the same power that causes your wife to finally have a baby boy. But why did they need a sign? Here's why. Because it's not every day that an old gray-haired woman gets pregnant, right? It's not every day that someone who's enjoying their retirement gets pregnant. Zechariah's muteness was one of the signs that pointed to God's promises. And we have signs like this today too. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs and seals that point to God's promises and all that he is for us in his son Jesus. God knows that our faith can be weak. God knows that we struggle to believe him, struggle to believe his promises. God knows that we struggle with doubt and unbelief. 
And that's one reason why he gave us baptism in the Lord's Supper. So that in the weakness of our faith, in the middle of the weakness of our faith, we could see these signs and remember that God is faithful to his promises. We don't trust what's in our own minds. We trust what's at the table. We trust what's happening in the waters. They remind us that God is working behind the scenes even when he can't be seen. Listen, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. Stress, confusion, maybe despair, worry, hopelessness. Maybe your family life is a mess. Maybe you really feel like you are about to break beneath life's crushing load. Luke wrote his gospel to give you hope. And to give you peace and to give you assurance and certainty so that you can rest and relax and enjoy your Savior instead of chewing your fingernails down to your elbows during the Christmas season. Maybe you're wondering what God is up to in your life. Maybe you're wondering how God will bring good out of all the mess of your life and in your family and your workplace. Maybe you feel like God is not speaking to you and all you hear is crickets. Well, cheer up, y'all. We serve a God who has the power to make old ladies get pregnant if he decides to. And some of you old ladies just got worried a little bit, didn't you? Take heart, Christian. You live in a fathered world. I told my girls this on the trip. On our return trip, we had sight because we bought tickets last minute. We're all sitting in four different spots on the plane. And I said, we need to pray. And I told them, we live in a fathered world. Just as I take care of you and you never worry about anything because dad's going to take care of it, so too with our heavenly father. So we're going to pray that we get seats together, and we did. And we got up there, and they said, we can put all three here, and we can put you behind them. Christian, take heart. You live in a fathered world, not a chaotic world run by the devil. You live in a fathered world, and your heavenly Father is busy at work, busy working behind the scenes in order to bring good into your life this Christmas season. Believe that today, no matter how dark things are. No matter how long you've heard crickets, no matter what's happening in your family's life, no matter what's happening with your kids and what's going on in their hearts, maybe you're wondering, is the gospel, is God's word even penetrating the hearts of my children? Know that God is at work. So take heart today. William Cooper, the author of many beloved hymns who suffered terribly from depression and suicidal tendencies, massive suicidal tendencies. It was out of the many dark nights of his soul that he could write lyrics like this. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Listen, you don't have to try to figure it all out. What's going on in your life? Because you can't. You can't. You just trust him for his grace. That's what Elizabeth had to do. I mean, put yourself in her shoes. She's like, what? I'm going to be pregnant? Do you know what that's going to do to me physically? 
She could not judge the Lord by feeble sense because her getting pregnant didn't make sense, did it? What she could do, though, is what Luke wants us to do this year during Advent, and that's to trust him for his grace. Trust his promises and rest beside the weary road. Listen, God is always working behind the scenes for our good. But man, how easy is it to forget that very simple basic truth? We all know Romans 8.28. We may even have it on a coffee mug or tattooed on our forearm. But we forget it all the time, don't we? In fact, God works behind the scenes all over the pages of the Bible. From beginning to end, the Bible is one long story of God working. And often behind the scenes and the characters in the stories don't even know it. And it's before our eyes on the very pages of Scripture. And yet sometimes we can't see it. He's always working. And the theological term for God's very meticulous involvement in our world and his involvement is very meticulous and his involvement in your life is very meticulous. He knows things you don't know. The theological term for his very meticulous involvement in our world is providence. I love how the Westminster Confession of Faith describes God's providence. It's a mouthful, but it'll give you peace. It says, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. So behind the scenes of our lives, we know that this paragraph is happening. That paragraph is happening in your life today, right now. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how long it feels like all you hear is crickets from God, no matter how often you entertain the idea that God doesn't care, that paragraph is your reality. Maybe what you need for Christmas this year is that paragraph from the Westminster Confession of Faith. I return to it often to get recalibrated. I need that paragraph to kind of knock me upside the head sometimes and say, hey, dummy, God's got it all. He's in control. Maybe you don't need that often, but I do. You want to know what God is up to in your life right now? Did you come in here this morning scratching your head and wondering what God is doing in your messy, broken life? Well, let me tell you what he is doing. Your heavenly father is upholding, directing, disposing, and governing all creatures, all actions, and all things from the greatest even to the least, from the most significant to the most mundane by his most wise and holy providence for you and for your good. Why? Because he loves you and he cares for you. And that, my friends, ought to be enough to get you through this week, at least until Thursday. Maybe what you need for Christmas this year is a good dose of providence. I love how Ralph Davis, Old Testament scholar, describes providence. He says, providence is God's way of providing for the needs of his people. That's not all of it, but some of it. 
When I use providence here, I mean that wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable way Yahweh has of ruling his world and sustaining his people and his doing it frequently over, under, around, through, or in spite of the most common stuff of our lives or even the bias of our wills. Let me ask you this morning, where are you struggling to believe that God is working behind the scenes in your life? What's happening in your life right now as we begin the Christmas holidays that's causing you to say that you can't see what God is doing? What's going on in your life that maybe that makes you think that maybe God has forgotten you or maybe he doesn't even care? Today, you too, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, you have run unexpectedly right smack dab into the providence of God. In his caring providence, you're listening to this sermon right now. In this sanctuary, or on YouTube at home, or listening to it on a podcast. Why? Because Jesus loves you. And because Jesus cares for you and cares about everything happening in your world. And he cares about every little thing that's breaking that little heart of yours. And he's telling you right now by his spirit that he is at work and that you don't have to stress and you don't have to wonder and you don't have to feel like you're breaking beneath life's crushing load. He's telling you that you can trust him for his grace. And somebody listening to this sermon needed to hear that. And you know who you are. And so does Jesus. And he loves you so much that he wanted me to tell you that today. So that you could enjoy him more this holiday season. And relax. And take to heart those lyrics from It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. Look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. And what are the angels singing today? We'll see it when we get to Luke chapter 2, but here are the lyrics to their song that they're still singing over the earth. They didn't just sing it to the shepherds that night. They're still singing it. They're saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Number one, glory to God is what they're saying. And number two, peace for weary sinners. Peace with whom God is pleased. Think about that. God is pleased with you if you are in Christ. That's amazing. God is pleased with you if you put your faith in Christ. When he looks at your life, he says, well done. Because you're in Christ, you can have that peace this morning if you repent and turn from your sins and you turn to Jesus and say, you're my only hope. Today, you have run right smack dab into God's providence. You have run right into God upholding, directing, disposing, and governing all creatures and all actions and all things from the greatest even to the least, from the most significant to the most mundane by his most wise and holy providence. You have run into that wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable way 
Yahweh has of ruling his world and sustaining his people and his doing it frequently over, under, around, through, or in spite of the most common stuff of our lives or even the bias of our wills. You may not see God moving right now in your life the way that you would like. And you may not understand why what is happening in your life right now is happening. But you will soon, someday, maybe sooner, maybe later. And most likely, you may never get a neat, tidy answer as to why things are happening the way they're happening. You may never get that neat, tidy answer with a bow on top. You might. But most likely, that day will wait when we stand before him. And Jesus comes alongside of us and puts his arm around his shoulder and said, remember that one time? Remember that one Advent season when you you were just crushed beneath life's crushing load? Let me tell you why this was happening and this was happening. And you'll be like an angel on that day and you'll say glory to God in the highest. God is working behind the scenes even when he can't be seen. To quote Ralph Davis again, he says, God does his most impressive works in a context of impossibility. Maybe you feel like you're in an impossible situation today. You know what? Great. Cheer up. Because that's where God does his most impressive work. So just trust him. And God did his most impressive work in the most impossible context of all, and that's saving sinners. God sent Jesus to save us out of the most impossible context of all. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were enemies with God. And he sent Jesus to save us. And that just might be enough truth to cause you to stand up right now and sing the lyrics to joy to the world. Let's pray, and then we're going to do that. Heavenly Father, thank you that we live in a fathered world. Nothing is happening that you're not aware of. Everything has to come across your desk. No one slips anything by you, Lord. You are absolutely sovereign, absolutely in control of everything. This world is not a a train runaway train that can't be stopped Lord you have your fingers in every detail of our life such meticulous providence gives us hope today thank you that you work and you show off your most impressive work in very impossible situations Some of us here today are in very impossible situations and Father, they need you to come through for them and we just ask you to be merciful. Show them, Lord. Thank you that most of all, when we were dead in our sins and it was impossible for us to find our way back to you, you sent Jesus. Help us to worship him in this season of Advent and help our hearts to rest beside the weary road and we will say glory to God in the highest. In Jesus' name, amen.